this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week, we had a poll, but it wasn't for the normal reasons. We had a poll because one of our Patreon folks couldn't make up their mind. And, indecisive. Uh, they were indecisive. We had to go to the uh, the steering committee to make a, make the call. Right. We had... There was there were a lot of albums, to be honest, that, that got whittled down to four. <laughs> And, we had an uh, emer- emergency board meeting. There was there was discussion of of you know this was going to be a poll that was going to uh, look like uh, picking parliament members in in the UK for uh, for the House of Commons, but uh, we narrowed it down to four uh, albums that uh, were were on the list, and we we ended up with one. So joining us for his twelve uh, month pick. Uh, from right here in uh, in uh, Cowtown, Columbus, Ohio, where I'm at, is uh, none other than Patrick Testa. Welcome, Patrick, to the show. Hey, hey, thank you very much for welcoming me, and thanks for helping. That was that uh, you know narrowing it down was ridiculous to me. I mean, I, I, you guys know the the sheer number, the sheer volume of releases in the '90s, and then when you when you even just start thinking about your favorite ones, for me, I have the hardest time in the world, really, getting I, it down, narrowed down. I think I had 30 on the list. <laughs> I think you did, too. I think wow. there were more albums released in the 90s than there are stars in the universe, if, I, if I'm correct. <laughs> it was the most pretty close decade of, of album releases. So the, the, the four that were on the, on the uh, poll were uh, Clutches, The Elephant Riders, Geggy Taz, Sacred Cow, James Laid, and Rusted Roots, When I Woke. Those were the four options that people had to choose from. And by a narrow margin, with a uh, plurality, James Laid won. The 1993 album, the fifth album by James, came out ahead 43% over Clutches, The Elephant Riders, with 39%. So that is what we are going to be reviewing so jay before we get into our patreon comments were you familiar with james uh i knew the uh i knew the single laid and i think i knew say something was that a single too that felt uh familiar yeah yeah it's a radio yeah yeah that's but that's it so you didn't know any other previous nope okay i actually was pretty familiar because i had the greatest hits that came out in i think 1998 when the band was sort of like in you know, a bit of a turmoil, I guess you'd say. So I picked that up, and I've actually had that for a long time. So I was familiar with all the singles, but I had never listened to an album all the way through. So I liked the band, but not enough to actually invest <laughs> in anything beyond the greatest hits, which uh, is like the same for Eddie Money. Like, I know I know all of Eddie Money's <laughs> hits. I don't know any albums by Eddie Money. Right. So same same ballpark. How did you end up on picking this record, Patrick? Well, it, I became familiar with James like the the record right before this, which was called Seven, and it was I think it was on 120 Minutes. I saw the, 
MTV video of Born of Frustration. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even sure if that was actually a single. I mean, it had to be a single since it was a video, but I, I look, nah, I think it was a single. Yeah. But I, I think CD 101 even played that song, but maybe after Laid became, a, and I think they went back and played that. But anyways, that was probably 1991, and there was a Cleveland radio station that just flipped over to Alternative 107.9, The End. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, because they, but they did play like 72 hours straight of REMs at the, the end of the world as we know it before they went on the air. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Um, but anyways, they started playing that song too. So Born of Frustration was familiar to me, but then when Laid came out, it was actually probably perfect timing for me because I had met my, who is now my wife at the time that year. And she and I both enjoyed the record right off the bat. And uh, we were, you know, we were rock and rollers, but I was getting eclectic at that point, trying out all kinds of stuff, jazz and soul and everything. So when, when this record, when we put this record on, it was a real kind of subdued record. And, but it, you know, hits it hits a lot of good chords. So, I think just the fact that it was a good record really um, made it one of my favorites, and that's why I, it, it made it on, onto my top thirty list that I showed you because <laughs> it was a favorite record of ours. So, just some some statistical information about this record. It came out in September of 1993. It was produced by Brian Eno. Their singles were sometimes released in August of '93. Laid, which was actually the second single, was released in November of 93. And then Say Something was the third single released in March of 94. It ended up charting in the U.S. only at number 72, but it made it to number three in the U.K. albums chart. And I believe worldwide it sold uh, six or 700,000 copies when it came out. And it was the it was actually recorded at the same time as their next record, which was called Wawa. Uh, Brian Eno had them do a bunch of like instrumental sort of jams and just improvisations. And he wanted to release it as a double album with Laid and Wawa together. But they ended up, the record company was like, yeah, we're going to not do that. And they put out (laughs) Wawa the next year. But the Say Something single actually includes a song from Wawa as the B-side. So that is the uh, trivia for this record. I want to mention some of the comments we got over at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. People were uh, interested in this record. And Darren Leach said, uh, what I like about this band is how different each album was, yet still poppy and and catchy. Jim Lazowski uh, says, one of my favorite records, actually. Uh, Keith Sawyer says, was a James fan before this uh, LP um, there's no sellout discussion to be had here. Laid is just another 90s example of an oddball convergence of popular tastes and a catchy tune. Tim Booth, that's the lead singer, uh, voice is showcased so well on this LP. His expressiveness really sells both slow burners like one of three or up-tempo so- jangle like sometimes. It does kind of sag in the middle, say tracks six through nine, but ends but the ends are super flavorful and make up uh, make this a worthy trip. And then Stephen Musinski said, I knew this album had a successful, successful single that did pretty well, but I couldn't remember anything about it. 
I put it on for the first time and just let it ride. By the time I got to track eight, I started thinking maybe I was mistaken. Ooh, I was hating what I was hearing. Or I wasn't hating what I was hearing, but I was definitely thinking none of this could be on rock radio in 1993. And then finally, all the way at the back end of the album, the title track came on and I was pretty shocked. This song, of course, I knew it, but just seemed out of left field. Definitely another case of a radio single not being entirely representative of the overall sound of the album. But it's an intriguing album nonetheless, and it's grown on me after a couple of passes. So an interesting uh, journey that Steven took on this record. And we need to thank all the people who chimed in on our original poll. Gary, uh, Scott, Darren, Eric, Darren. We have, oh, I, I didn't realize we have two Darrens, but spelled differently. Darren Svetson and Darren Leach. Uh, so thanks to everybody who chimed in with their comments about all the records that were in the uh, poll. Let's get into what we liked and what we didn't like about this record. So, Jay, you are the least familiar with James. So why don't yes. you tell us one thing that you liked about this record? One thing I want to tell you is that the uh, Laid Wawa album was released in 2014. Um, it's called the Super Deluxe Edition, and it's right. on Apple Music. And it's on Spotify <laughs> as well. It's four, it's four hours and 33 minutes. Yes. <laughs> there are so many tracks I lost count. So you were not required to listen to all of them. Did you no, I know. <laughs> but but it's uh it's one of those records when you go to find it, there are like at least on Apple Music, four or five different versions of this. Remastered, deluxe, not remastered. It gets it gets confusing yeah. trying to find the right record. I should um, mention just real quickly, they're from Manchester, England. They started in 1982, and they're still together after a brief hiatus. So that's all I wanted to say. They were actually you know, a major part of the beginning of that Manchester scene. Yeah. I mean, it was them, it was them and Happy Mondays. And, well, you know, it was coming off the heels of the New Order, but the Happy Mondays were kind of like the bigger band in the scene that everybody, all the other bands wanted to be or at least hang out with and, and go to their shows. But James was kind of like right, right behind them, and then the Smiths and you know, the Fall, all those bands that came after, after them all were in that scene too. And you can definitely hear some of them. Uh, I picked up. I didn't even know that, but I picked up on some of the Manchester sound in, in this band and approach. Um, I, I think the there's two things about it that stand out to me that I like. One would be the vocal uh, approach. You hear some of that uh, Britpop sound, Jarvis Cocker, Manic Street Preachers. There's like an attitude there. There's a unique delivery. Um, he, he's one of those singers that um, he almost forces a hook, like wills it on upon you. Uh, right. Uh, he'll either find some like little creative little melody and just repeat it enough that it just sticks in your head. Um, whether you like it or not, um, or sometimes he'll just pick a line and, and, and do the same thing, just set it up and then repeat it. And before you know it, you're like singing it to yourself. So, uh, from that standpoint, there's, um, I think there's a pretty unique and compelling vocal for, for a lot of this. There's other parts where, uh, maybe it isn't as, as, as good in terms vocally for me, but, um, 
I think 75% of the time I like what's going on with the vocal and the, and the lyrics and the singer. Um, I think the, but the best part of the record is the bass uh, parts. So as I listen to this record more and it takes, I, I felt like it, this is a, this is a grower. It takes some time to get into this record. And the more you listen to it, the more you start to notice things. Cause there's quite a bit going on here and you mm-hmm. don't, I didn't pick it up the first listen or two. Um, the amount of instrumentation that's on the on the in the mix. Um, what makes all that whole stay together though is the bass. You know, there's some really cool bass parts, um, tones. You know, there's t- at times like say something almost has a new order feel to it, where the bass is really the melody. Um, it's holding down, filling up space. It's allowing a lot of different instruments and sounds to be um, rooted in something, which with without this strong of a bass player and bass parts, I think a lot of this record would start to feel like scattered and random, but um, stays pretty grounded bec- because of the, um, I think the, the approach of the, the bass player, how well they kind of not only hold the song down, but also, really emphasize and create a lot of the, the melodic moments with the vo- vocal. So those are the two things that really stood out. Um, and I, and I uh, really picked up on and thought were, were pretty original. song to to uh you know the peter hook's bass playing in in new order but that song is carried and, and a lot of this record is carried by uh the bass player who is um i think it's jim glennie is his name i think you know part of that is because the the playing of of the guitar and uh the i think there's multiple guitar players actually uh there's larry gott and then there's uh, Saul Davies plays guitar and then violin also on this record. Um, it's pretty restrained for most part on the record. Uh, there's a lot of atmospheric stuff that goes on in in some of the songs, and uh, it really builds this mood that on a lot of the songs. Uh, the up tempo stuff is the things that you know worked okay for me. Um, whether it's like sometimes. Or, and I, I do like something. I like the groove of that song. Uh, but Late is sort of like a, you know, it's an oddball song at the sort of the end of the record. I don't think that they intended it for to be a single based on its position on the record. But it's the stuff like one and three um, and the opening track out to get you that has these moods and these and these builds that um, are very melancholy. And um, it really caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it because I was so familiar with the up-tempo nature of all their singles from the from the best of 
that I was thinking this was going to be more of a pop band, that this was going to be a bit dancier, like in the vein of like Happy Mondays or Stone Roses and stuff. And this really like quite a lot of it reminded me more of like the quieter moments on like the early frames records and the stuff that Glenn Hansard does on the, on those albums that almost sound like there are parts of the songs that almost sound, um, they sound much more European to someone who grew up in the United States. They have, you know, connections to whether it's folk music that I'm not familiar with or what have you, but there's definitely like sounds and, and melodies that sounded much more traditional than I'm used to hearing in, you know, pop rock music. Yeah. There's a folky kind of like English folky kind of tone to some of this at times. Yeah. So I really, but I really dug that. I, I dug the sound of the record in terms of it really selling the, uh, the melancholy that's throughout most of the record. Insecure, what you gonna do? Feel so small, they could step on you. Called you up, answer machine. When the human touch is what I need, 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 is you. I need you. Looked in the mirror. And it ends on a very unusual note with skin diving which I don't know who is singing that song. It, I don't think it's Tim Booth. Pat, do you know who's singing? On uh, I always assumed it was Tim Booth. I don't, I don't know that for sure though, it's but it was an effective vocals. Yeah. It's real, real, um, ear, um, airy, you know, yeah. effect on the vocals. And I thought maybe they brought in like Elizabeth Frazier or, or you know, <laughs> somebody from one of those four AD bands to, to sing on that song. I don't maybe know that. Tim Booth. Yeah, I'm, I tell you, you guys are hitting on all of the things that that when you ask me why I picked this record, those are the real reasons. I wanted to throw you guys. I wanted to. I wanted. <laughs> I didn't well, think you would expect what you were going to hear when you put the needle on the record, as they say. But um, like the, you know, you the, the mention of fr- the frames. That's a great reference. I didn't even think about that. But you know, the frames actually came later, obviously. But right, they. They and they have that same kind of um, uh, I call it dramatic, you know, like a, a dramatique. It's like a it's a dramatic turn in songs, you know. And the frames did that a lot. I never really put that together. But what I think um, when Jay mentioned scattered and random and lots going on, all these things, and then you mentioned Brian Eno, the whole thing I think starts with James's influences. And now now that you're talking about folk even that that plays into it because you know if you really we're talking about the early 90s here right so you know there's got to be a lot of 80s influences and and even the 70s and so these bands that were coming out of that scene they were all influenced by the 70s especially and and what was happening in their immediate scene but james themselves now they kind of incorporate everything that was going on around them. So if, if, if I would list out some of what I think is their influences and some of what I've heard 
is their influences. It's because it's they're directly influenced. Like they're literally, you know, playing right next to or right after the Happy Mondays, or they're playing. They were all going to Joy Division concerts, you know, a few years ago, and um, John Cale from the Velvet Underground was producing, you know, the Happy Mondays. So they were into the Velvet Underground, and they loved Lou Reed and. Brian Eno came out of Roxy Music and he invented ambient music. So it's all of these influences, I think, just seeped into what they were doing. And just to give you a little story that I read in their biography about Brian Eno stepping into the role as producer. So they invited him to um, a rehearsal and he comes in and the band's setting up and they start tweaking their instruments and tuning and whatnot and then they start making noises and everybody's making noises and everything just keeps making more and more noises and eventually brian eno had to like stop and say hey when are we going to start rehearsal and they all looked up and said well this is it <laughs> and that's how they did it they literally just made noises until they found something that sounded like something to build on and even vocally um tim booth would improvise just sounds or vocal melodies and then sometimes words that he would throw out there and say you know to go on top just a layer into the music and and those actually were the building blocks of what they would eventually put on record so that's uh that's an interesting and unusual i haven't heard very many bands ever do that kind of a thing or at least admit to it so having those um having all that influence and knowing what they're doing you know with their particular instruments and just having it all pulled together like that in an improvised manner that that's kind of a real uh it, it kind of grabs me because i that's how i just love musicianship i love artistry i love creativity and when it all comes together and then you have like a finished product that's actually something that's pleasing to the year. That's like a, that's kind of a magical thing, you know? I wonder, were they able to, uh, I guess there's some live recordings on this record. I mean, what does this turn into live? If it's so. Wow. I mean, it's not, it's not <laughs> impro improvisational, but it's some of it is so subtle. Like yeah. there, there's some guitar parts on there. You're like, is that a guitar? It's like way far away <laughs> and barely strumming, you know? Well, I did go to the Newport show. They they played the Newport in 94 after this record came out. And it was incredible. It was I I still have chills thinking about it to be honest. There was moments in that concert where people everybody that was there was looking at each other going, "This is like one of the most magical things we've ever seen." I mean, they were really something on stage especially in those days. I mean, after this record, they had a lot more up-tempo stuff and a lot of hits in the UK. So their their concerts are, they have a little bit of this, but it's much more, uh, you know, geared towards, you know, getting the arena rocking, you know. That's interesting. But it's yeah. almost, a, it's a similar, although the sound is different, it's a similar trajectory as Pulp. And, you know, Pulp started out, in the early eighties as this like weird art band and sort of accidentally became a pop band, you know, they, they were much more art oriented than mm -hmm. singles oriented. 
and uh you know once common people exploded then they became a a much more commercial band after that but i don't know how they you know i don't they seem to be much more dictated by jarvis cocker's personality than than tim booth who i think like on the the record after this like kind of left the band it was just like you guys write the songs and i'll show up <laughs> like yeah well he did an album with angelo batamalenti yeah which is composer of all those david lynch movies and stuff and and which was a good record too Booth, actually Booth and the bad angel yeah who's in the bad angel right yep so yeah that he's always he always he always wanted to work with brian eno he always wanted to work with angelo batamalenti and so i think he took that opportunity because the band had just did a world tour and they were bigger than they you know probably ever thought they would be and there was probably strife you know there was a one member of the band i think they wanted to to kick out of the band um yeah but uh and then yeah he did that did that album and kind of showed up for the next record and they lost their united states following at that point because it had been three years since laid had come out before right the next this record is so uh so i was just sampling some of the the bbc session live stuff from the same year uh, this album is so sp- specific on the mix. Like if somebody else would have mixed this or you mix this album differently, it would sound dramatically different. So let's talk about maybe some of the things that didn't work on this record. I'm going to Patrick, I want to start with you. Have there, have there been things or were there things when you first heard this record, you were like, mm, this song doesn't work for me or uh, this, you know, Keith mentioned about, maybe tracks six through nine. Uh, That's a great, it, it drags a little great, bit. Great place to start because I would think, I think when I read Keith's, um, that sentence that he wrote, I was thinking, you know what? I remember at some point feeling the exact same way, but see, I'm, I'm a listener. I'm a music lover. And I, I you know, I, I consume music. I say, because I, I sometimes, I listen to something enough, even if it's not a whole lot, but I listen to it enough and then I, I'm done listening to it, you know, but, um, I don't really listen to lyrics. I'm not, it's something that, um, I have to deliberately make myself concentrate on what he's saying in order to understand him or her when they're singing. And I don't know, it's just some sort of training. I don't know, something that I did to myself way back when, but for this record, I listened to it enough and loved it enough that I did actually listen to the lyrics. So I think at some point I kind of felt that six through nine was a dragging point, but I always did kind of like the rhythm of knuckle too far. But I think if he, if, um, he, Steven or whoever said that Keith, Keith said that, sorry, Keith, uh, if he listens again and listen, really thinks about what he's saying there, those lyrics are—he's very a poetic lyricist, I think. And and he—it's not just he because there's three songwriters in the band. I think they all—all all of them write lyrics. If you listen to like P.S. for example, that's number seven. Five O I think is a is a fantastic song at this point. Uh, but at some point, I probably did feel the same way. I can feel your face.
listen to P.S., that song really is like, it. I feel like I've been cheated on <laughs> when I'm listening to that song. It's very real, you know? He's talking about, um, you know, basically a girl cheating on him, you know? And it and the song makes you in a, it emotes those same kind of feelings in the in the sound of the song and the lyrics of course are I think are great and then uh, everybody knows is catchy enough um, I think it's pretty cool it kind of uh, points points at somebody but um, doesn't really call them out and then knuckle too far um, I'm a big Doors fan from way back when I don't know are you Jay <laughs> are you a Doors fan uh, not too much. No, well, when I was a kid, I that was the resurgence of the Doors when I was like uh, eleven years old, and I think that song gives me a little nostalgia for the Doors. It, had, it kind of tickles my Doors loving roots, I would say. But enough, it has a really nice rhythm too, and it's got that slide guitar that you'll find in Robbie Krieger's playing. So I think, yeah, I think I definitely at some point felt that six through nine was a low point because low 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 is a is a big 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 song you know it's a arena rocker and and a catchy pop song um which was number 10 but at this point i don't i like every song on this record uh i think maybe skin diving is doesn't really add anything to the record although it's it's interesting it's a different sound yeah. and you know predates what the electronica stuff that was gonna start creeping into rock and roll you know by a few years but it's, it's kind of like an ambient groove song and real i mean the percussion is all i think it's all uh programmed so it's um real repetitive but it's got a real nice feeling to it you know and i think you know the other influence i think they have is pink floyd to be honest especially with this record i think they some of their song construction and and uh, jay mentioned that some songs like he wills that hook by repeating a line or repeating a melody. And uh, Pink Floyd did that on a lot of stuff. You know, they, they had lots of songs that didn't have choruses, but they felt like they did, you know? Yeah, that's true. So, and, and of course, David Gilmore was into the, the ambient stuff a lot in the 90s. That's when he really started that phase of his career. So no, at this point, and, and some, I, to be honest, sometimes is I think is a masterpiece. And you you talked about um, uh, more than one or more than two guitars. I think there's like five guitars on that song. Uh, when they perform that live, they play five guitars, or at least I've seen that. Wow, uh, acoustic guitars, uh, right. strumming, and um, like the Eagles. <laughs> yeah, but it's more robotic, more uh, you know, folky or no? Yeah, um, it definitely does. It, it, it's more folky than that. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's influenced by I think even um, electronic music because of its uh, rigidness in that in that rhythm. But it's all organic to me. Even I mean, skin diving is probably the the only one that's not organic. The last song on the record, and I think that they could have ended the record at twelve. And skin diving could have been a single or or whatever on a B side, um, because I think after laid lullaby is like the perfect ending to the record. I mean, it could be skin diving is kind of like a coda. You know, it's like this: the record's over. Here's a little extra bonus music for you. You know, right? So, Jay, what were or what are any issues that you had with the record that didn't work for you, Patrick? You might want to might want to take your headphones off for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So for everything I like about uh, the production and the mixing, I scratch my head at some of the engineering of this record, uh, particularly the acoustic guitars. Um, Low, 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 laid, and sometimes have maybe the worst acoustic guitar sound I've ever heard on a professionally recorded record. Um, And it's like... (laughs) It sounds like somebody just bought the cheapest guitar they had with one of those cheapo pickups, plugged it straight into a mixing board and cranked it. Like, um, like an ovation, yeah. Yeah, it is a terrible sound. Um, and it is loud. And in all those songs, the uh, there's two or three guitars playing and they're all a little bit off rhythm. Um, so you've got this really ear-piercing, like, loud string sound you know, acoustic string sound just bouncing around your head when you're listening to this with headphones. Um, so I, I find those songs just to really suffer because of the, I don't know why they made the choice they made to in the way they mic'd up those acoustics or didn't, but it's, it's pretty awful. Um, so I tend to not like the uptempo stuff. Um, I also just don't like this band when they sound happy. <laughs> um, I, I like with some a lot of other bands we've we've talked about. I think they work better when they're darker, more ambient. Um, they're slower. Um, I think "Say Something" is probably the fastest I ever want to hear this band play. Um, not a huge fan of his falsetto. I think he sounds great when he sings in lower tones, but um, "Laid," for example, I just that song irritates me beyond belief. It might be my one of the most irritating songs of the '90s uh, singles, <laughs> at least for me. Um, luckily, the rest of this record didn't sound like that, but that one I just cannot take. When he goes to that falsetto and like kind of yodels, I just I gotta I gotta change the channel. Um, <laughs> so great, there I'm laying I, it out. I, I I agree with you on that acoustic guitar tone. I I don't know what it is that, and I I think it's because of that fast strumming. But it just sounds like somebody's like raking their nails across a washboard or something. Like there's yes. no, you don't hear any chords. All you hear is this like. Shh, you this, hear the pick on the on the strings like in a metallic way, a little bit of, or a electrified way, right? Yeah, you yeah. just you don't hear the actual notes or, or the or the chords that are played because it's just this wash of metallic brushing that uh, carries the whole you know, like sound. And, um, yeah, that was not, it was not a high point. I, I'm not as down on, on laid as a single. And that didn't, that never bothered me in the nineties and it doesn't bother me now. I understand how that would rub people the wrong way in the same way that like there are other singles, um, that I can like, if I hear like two notes, I turn the channel immediately <laughs> on the radio. Cause right. I despise the song so much. Um, and everybody's got their own trigger when it comes to <laughs> whatever 90s uh, alt rock one hit wonder single that uh, drives them insane. Um, this is not one of them. And it's probably it's actually probably the reason why I bought the greatest hits a couple years later, because I was like, oh, I kind of like that song. I want to check out what else. You know, maybe I, I think I bought it after because on the next I think the next record, the single was She's a Star. Not a yeah. Wawa, but the one after that. Um hmm. And I like that song. And then I think the the greatest hit, I think, what was it? 
was that album called? That was after. Was it uh, Whiplash? Oh, Whiplash. Yeah, was the, right. was the one that that came out in '97, and I had "She's a Star" as the single. And then the '98 is when the when the best of came out, and that's when I got that because I liked "She's a Star" and I liked "Say Something" and "Laid," and I was like, "All right, well, I'm I'm gonna buy this because you know I like a lot of these songs." Um, the the falsetto stuff doesn't bother me as much uh, again because like he does it on "She's a Star." the single from whiplash and I dig that song and, but I do, I can see how he's all over the place vocally. And I can understand how that would drive some people nuts. Uh, Cause a lot of their singles that I really like, like um, sit down and, and come home and some of the earlier singles born of frustration. Those are all lower register songs. Um, I think there's even, Destiny Calling is on the the greatest hits. I think it's like that was specifically for that release. And that's again, yeah. it's him singing in a lower uh, register. So I can I can hear that. I don't have as much issue with the up and up stuff in terms of presentation. I think, like you said, some of the production isn't as strong. Um, and I don't know that that's Briny those strength. Like if I think about what records he's worked on. I don't think of them for like their acoustic strummy guitar style sound. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think like the production and mixing is fine. It's the engineering, like whoever made the choice of how they're going to mic up that acoustic guitar. I think he's just like, all right, well, that's the acoustic guitar. That's what it sounds like. This is how I'll make it work. But right. whoever that was that made the, the pick on, Hey, we're just going to plug this chord straight into the mixing board and go with that. That that's the person I want to go. Right. Strangle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm with you on that, but I, I, I don't let it bother me. I, I, I uh, you know, you guys are musicians. Uh, I'm just a DJ. So <laughs> it, the way I can shift my focus to his vocals and, and in that song and where the guitars are that way and, and um, especially on, say, on some sometimes he's, you know, he's throwing out he's doing his Lou Reed and, you know, uh, he's, his, he's taking poetry into a pop song, you know, and, um, and trying to make it, you know, say something about <laughs> no pun intended, say something about the world, you know? So I, I can easily shift off of the guitar, although the, the you know, it does great. I could definitely, I definitely know that part of it, but it, it never really bothered me, even if it's grating because the song, I think overall is um, is a, one of the most unique uh, songs that is catchy and could have been a pop. It was a single, but it could have been a pop hit. So I, I give him credit for um, having the balls to start a record with such a slow burner. Like I, I bet if you got you put the CD on, you're not even sure if you if you hit play for like ten seconds or twenty <laughs> yeah. seconds. Yeah. Like yeah. double checking, triple checking, and then uh, you know, out to get you comes on, and it's a slow burner. You know, it's a slow song, and um, and then sometimes is abrasive, and uh, but it's a welcome abrasion for me. Well, you look at that song title, like "Out to Get You," is like, is this a response to Guns N' Roses' uh, uh, "Out to Get Me" from uh, Appetite? <laughs> like, what's what's going to go on here? But uh, no, it's the complete opposite. Um, right, I mentioned Lester Piggott. Yeah, who is Lester Piggott? 
let's let that's the parenthetical parent uh parenthetic what's the word parenthetical Parent- title yes of, of sometimes um but he's a jockey he's a uk jockey like a horse jockey but i think you know the story was um that he was like going through a big tax evasion uh trial at that point and it was highly publicized as one of those uh, you know big things uh happening in the media at that time so i don't i don't really know why they chose to put him in the song title but i don't think he's in the lyrics <laughs> no i don't remember i honestly the lyrics kind of washed over me on a lot of the songs sometimes they hit me um on certain tracks but a lot of them i got so into the mood of the song that they just sort of melted into music and i didn't necessarily latch on I, I i heard his hooks on the songs that had pretty blatant hooks but on some of them and, and it's not a bad thing that you know i liked certain songs but didn't need necessarily for there to be a, a hit you over the head hook for it to stick with me right. um so let's talk about overall ratings on this record it's gonna be interesting Worthy album, better EP, and decent single. Patrick, I'm going to start with you. You picked this record, so I'm gonna guess worthy album. Well, yeah, I mean it's it's for sure a worthy album for me and uh, my wife and a lot of people that I know. But um, you know, I I don't like to force people onto it, but I would recommend it. It's an unusual record. It's an unusual record to be um, even, you know, recommended. Uh, I, in the history of this show, I feel like this is not that unusual in terms of it had a hit single. It's a it's a well, Manchester I mean, band. Sound. Trust me, we're going to get into some weird stuff coming up. <laughs> well, it's not weird. I think it's that's what's beautiful about it. It's it's like an unusual like if you like you try to pick apart this uh, what, what the, the musicianship and the uh, instrumentation and all that. Right. Yeah, it's an organic band, but it's there's they have presented a sound that's not you know popular on radio or popular sure. and especially the way they present it with Brian Eno's production and making it so um relaxed and subdued and i mean there's definite waves to this record but um and then there's you know like one of the three which comes up right before save something i mean it's almost like a religious song i mean it could be i I guess they could be talking about jesus and 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 god but it's also could be talking about people and and the relationship that three people have with one another so it's it's kind of an interesting Mm-hmm. There's there's interesting things throughout, and you don't, and it's not overt. It just you have to like you know like everybody has said so far, even some of the comments that it, it will grow on you at least um, after you play it a few times. You'll hear some things that that stick with you, and it's not an overt pop record. You know, it's not overt. It's not doing what everybody else is doing in 1993. That's for sure. Right, Jay, where do you land? I'm going to go with an EP. Um, not a huge ambient fan, so some of this material that I even like, I struggle with. I guess I want it to go somewhere bigger, and it doesn't. 
Uh, so I find that frustrating. Uh, I like drum thumb. I like say something. I like PS. I like everybody knows. I like knuckle too far. Um, so I'm at an EP. I, I think to be fair, if I spent more time with it, I th- it could grow to an album. This is certainly a record where, I, you know, I really spent about a week listening to it. I think if I put two or three weeks into it more, it would become more familiar and kind of put its hooks into me. Uh, I could see that happening very easily, but where I'm at right now is an EP. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, side with Patrick. Uh, I'd probably trim like three songs off the record. Uh, skin diving being one of them. I don't really see why that uh, the song is on the record at all. I think this is like a 10, I think this is a super strong 10 song record. And then that six to nine really disappears in terms of it being sort of a slower section that drags down. Like Keith mentioned, um, I think if this was at 10 songs, which is hard to do in the nineties, I understand that, but uh, it's a 55 minute record and it could easily be like a 40 minute record. Yeah. So that's where I'm at where the album, but needs a couple needs some trimming. That's it. Patrick, thank you for uh, suggesting this record and coming on the show with us. And, hey, uh, let me tell you, Tim, I I'm really appreciate being on the show. And uh, if you have listeners that were in the we do. Columbus area that were in the Columbus area from the late 90s, uh, from 95 through 2001, I was on the radio every day in the morning. I had a radio three hour radio show on WCBE 90.5. And um, this is actually marks the first time that I'm being broadcast again since I left that show in a musical sense. I've done a lot of other things and some podcasts that were unrelated to music, but this is the first one. So you guys debuted wow. on, on the air kind of a you're, thing. You're back. You're back in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I really appreciate you guys um, having me on. And you know what? Let me just throw this out to the listeners too. You guys do such a great job with this show. I think that uh, beyond just being diligent about having a, a, a show every week uh, and the diversity and picking all the different records and everything like that, uh, you guys both offer such insight into records that most of the time I think most of us wouldn't even think about, or at least we're thinking completely different thoughts. And so I appreciate that greatly. You're adding to the discourse of what music is and what music can do for people and lives. And I, and I really appreciate that. And I'm happy to support you guys. And I hope that people that listen to the podcast will jump on board and, and help you continue what you're doing, because I just think it's great. It's, it's unusual. There aren't many guys out there doing or women doing this thing as well as you guys do. So I appreciate that. Wow. Thank you. Yes. I thanks. That's very nice. It's a, it's, it's a pleasure, and I, and I like that we've built a little community of folks that we get to talk about this kind of stuff with, because uh, otherwise I'd just be muttering to myself in my, <laughs> in my basement. Wives. And don't we all? And don't we all? Yeah. So uh, I think that, to me, is, is the most uh, fun aspect of, of what we get I'd, to do. And I'd be ranting at my daughter. Can you hear the acoustic on this song? It's <laughs> terrible. Can you believe this? <laughs> Oh, that would be. And I just want to play Minecraft. Please stop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I need to. I forgot to mention up 
Top, I need to thank our latest uh, subscriber at Patreon, Andrew OC. He joined us at the 250 level. So the last person joins us at the 250 level. And uh, welcome, Andrew, to the, uh, to the club, as they say. And uh, you can also join us, if you are not yet subscribed, at patreon.com, patreon.com forward slash dig me out. We just gave away our first quarter prize, uh, and uh, I'm sure we'll have something cool for the second quarter. Man, there are a ton of records coming out that are are dig me out relevant. Manic Street Preachers, Belly, uh, Buffalo Tom, Swerve Driver, Stone Temple Pilots. We might have to get our hands on one of those and, and give them away. Failure's got a new record coming out soon. Uh, EP is out already. Yeah, EP is well, out. Yeah, digitally it is. Yeah. So uh, lots of records. We might have to pick one up and make that our second quarter uh, giveaway. I don't know. We'll see. How, how do we, we, we need to, these record companies need to send us stuff. How do we Swag, make that please. happen? Well, the problem is it's now they go, oh, you want to listen to the record? Here's a Dropbox link to. Uh, right. All right, well, give us some coupon codes to give that shit away or something. Yeah, that's the ser- service of these days. You're right. It's like by email. Right. <laughs> and uh, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes for Jay and Patrick and myself. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. Dig me out.